You aren't blessed now. Your blesser's broken. (laughs) We're glad you're here this morning. Listen, church should be about experiencing the presence of God. Church should be about connecting with God. And that's why we worship the way we do here at the Oasis. That's why we deliver the word the way we do, because it's not about anything else. It's about the Lord. And it's about us each individually and collectively connecting with our God and going deeper with our God and drawing near to God. That's what church should be about. And that's what we want the Oasis to always be about. We're glad you're here. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning in the scriptures. We're continuing a series that will last for several months on looking at the greatest servant of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in this uh, series that we're doing, we're focusing on serving the Lord. What's it mean to serve the Lord? How to serve the Lord? How can I be a servant of the Lord? What part of ministry does God want each of us to play in that? Because God has a part for each of us to play. And we learn a lot about serving and service and being a servant of the Lord simply by examining the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, today, As we look at Luke chapter 4, we're going to see the perfect pattern for ministry. It's what I call the Jesus way. And I'd like to begin in verse 14 this morning of Luke chapter 4. And I want us to just hit some highlights here. We're going to get into the depth of it primarily in Jesus' missional statement, which is taken from the book of Isaiah in verses 18 and 19. And we're going to touch on the whole chapter, but I want to start in verses 14 and 15 just by looking at a couple things here and then down into 16 and 17. Then it says, Jesus in the power of the Spirit returned to Galilee and news about him spread throughout the surrounding countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. First thing, notice in verse 15, Jesus was always explaining the Old Testament scriptures everywhere he went. He had a teaching ministry in the house of God. And you and I would do well as our church to make sure that the teaching of the word always maintains a priority when we come together. Notice also Jesus had a love for the house of God. You always found him where? In the synagogues. In fact, in verse 16, it says, even when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth, where he was brought up, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Notice, as was his custom. What's that simply mean? It means it was his habit. It was a non-negotiable spiritual discipline. Where would you find Jesus? In the house of God on the Sabbath day. And and God wants us not only to have, if you will, a love for the house of God, but beyond that, to begin to allow him to build spiritual disciplines in our life that become part of our life. And one of those obviously is being faithful to the house of God. Then notice also verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. It wasn't open to this place. He found it. Why? Because even in his humanity, Jesus was familiar with the word of God. He knew where to find Bible references and where to go to find certain things. It reminds us how God wants us throughout our Christian life to become more familiar with this book, to to 
you know, meditate on it, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to make it a part of our life, to allow it to become part of our life. This was all part of the ministry of doing ministry the Jesus way. A couple other things. If you go over to verse 42 of chapter 4, you'll notice something else that was always part of Jesus' life and ministry. It says the next morning, Jesus, after ministering pretty intensely, departed and went to a deserted place. Why? Because even Jesus wanted to get alone with the Father. Even Jesus needed to get alone with the Father. He needed to spend time, if you will, you know, being filled up with, with being in the presence of, of God. And that's why it's so important for us as we minister to make sure that we're ministering and serving out of the overflow, if you will, of our life so that our spiritual life and energy and all of that doesn't get depleted like many Christians do when they begin to serve the Lord. They get to a place in their service where they experience what we call today burnout. That's because they are continuing to pour themselves out without making time to make sure that they are being poured into. And Jesus is a great model for us that after he ministered, he always made time. He got alone with the Father and he spent time in his presence sort of recharging, if you will, his spiritual batteries. In fact, you'll notice over in chapter 5, verse 16, here again is another reference. It says, yet Jesus himself frequently, it meant that that was a habit, that was a custom, withdrew to the wilderness in a sense to get away from everything and everybody. And what was he doing? Praying, interacting with the Father there. If Jesus needed to build that into his own life, how much more do you and I need to make sure that as we're out there in the masses, if you will, moving and working around others and ministering and pouring ourselves out and serving them and giving of ourselves, that we make sure that we are making time for God to pour in and minister to us, to bring, if you will, not just draining people into our life, but very resourceful people that can pour into us as we're pouring out to others. You see this in the Jesus way of ministry. Now, also, very quickly, one of the things that we notice is that as Jesus was beginning his ministry, he met with some things. He, he met with what I would like to call in this chapter some menaces, some, some opposition, some obstacles to his ministry. And it is a reminder to us that we can be doing everything right. We can be exactly where God wants us to be, doing what he wants us to do, serving him in the power that he wants us to do it in, and still face obstacles and opposition. In fact, can I say that actually that's when you and I know we're doing something right. Amen. Because if not, the enemy is going to leave us alone. But when the enemy begins, or when, when God begins to use our life and we allow God to use our life to begin to shake things up and to move and, and to impact and influence other people, the enemy is going to rear his ugly head and begin to come at us, which is why, as Christian servants, we need to make sure that we are maintaining a position of spiritual strength and health because the more we want to be used and the more God is using us, the more we will experience obstacles and opposition against us. And the only way that we can stand against all of that is to make sure that we are standing strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. So notice, 
In the first 13 verses of chapter 4, what are we confronted with? Well, the devil came at Jesus at a very vulnerable time and tempted him and tried him and put him to the test. And we're not going to go through all of that today. You can obviously read that. You're familiar with that. But what we do know is this. When Jesus began his ministry, what did he face? He faced satanic opposition. The devil was trying to defeat Jesus Christ and disqualify him from being our Savior and from being able to go to the cross as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I submit to you that when you and I are out there ministering and serving for the Lord, and God is using our life, and our life is being used to influence and impact others, the devil is going to come at us too, and he's going to try to, to defeat us and to get us to a, a place where we're living in defeat rather than living in victory. So mark it down. That's one. Secondly, over in chapter 4, later on... <laughs> Jesus literally goes into the synagogue of his hometown in Nazareth. You, you see this beginning in verse 20. And basically, he proclaims himself to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures about the coming one, the one who would come and, and who would, would be here to deliver the people of God. Well, obviously, especially when Jesus then went on to say, oh, and if you all as Jews reject me, God's going to open up his invitation to the Messiah to Gentiles. They didn't like that too well. In fact, you'll notice in verse 28 of chapter 4, when they heard this, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage, literally passionate hatred against Jesus. They got up grabbed a hold of Jesus, forced him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built and attempted to throw him off the cliff. These were church people, my friends. <laughs> and what does that tell us? That tells us that sometimes, too, when God is using us And when God is using us to expose things or to speak the truth and, and maybe to share with people things that they need to hear, just like we all do, rather than what they want to hear, we're not always going to be received well. We're going to be rejected. And just like with Jesus, just like the devil tried to defeat him, there's going to be maybe some people in our lives over our life of serving the Lord that's literally going to try to wipe us away. They're going to try to remove us from their life. They're either going to walk away from us or they're going to seek to have us get away from them. Now, in this case, they went even further. They tried to destroy Jesus. Satan tried to defeat him. These folks are trying to destroy him and pull him away. And we'll get back to this story in just a moment. But I wanted you to look at one other thing that happened to Jesus. In verse 42, it says, The next morning Jesus departed and went to a deserted place, yet the crowds were seeking him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Literally, it meant they tried to hold him back, to thwart him, to prevent him from doing all that the Father and that the Spirit was wanting him to do in his ministry and service. And notice what his response is. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, for this is what I was sent to do. The point I want to make is this. There will also be times in our service and ministry for the Lord where there will be people 
that come into our life, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes not so well-meaning, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. But if we're not discerning, if we're not perceptive in our walk with God and what God wants us to do and to truly be focused on what God wants us to do like Jesus was, we can allow them literally to hinder our ministry, to thwart us, to prevent us from doing what God wants because we're trying to live to please them more than we're trying to live to please and follow God. And we've got to come to a place in our life, again, out of spiritual strength and health, where we know for sure, just like Jesus, this is what God wants me to do. Think of Nehemiah. I love that book in the Old Testament, where God laid it upon the heart of Nehemiah to get a band of people together and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And if you know the story out of the Old Testament, you know that that there were those enemies who did not want the wall of Jerusalem to be built because it was not only a a symbol of physical strength, it was in a sense symbolic and figurative of the spiritual strength that was growing in Israel. And they kept trying to get Nehemiah and the people to come down from the work of rebuilding the wall and to get focused on something else. So in a sense... Like Satan tried to defeat Jesus and this crowd in the synagogue tried to destroy Jesus, this crowd here distract Jesus. And you're going to have people like that too. That's why you and I have to be sure of what God's called us to and what God wants us to do because we live in a world of distraction. We live in a world where we can go off and start getting involved in that thing or this thing or whatever, and yet we've got to make sure that if, if we do make that turn and leave and go and do that, that that's something that the Lord is leading us to do and we're not just following what somebody wants us to do or even what is our own desire to do because we can get so easily thwarted, hindered, and prevented from doing the will of God. And Jesus basically said, I got to keep going because that's what God wants me to do. And sometimes the, the, the... The thing that I know we don't like to do at times with other people is we have to look them straight in the eye and say what? No, I can't do that. I can't be a part of that. That doesn't mean we're unspiritual. In fact, that means we're more locked down to what God has for us because if I start getting involved in these other things, that means I can't do what God has clearly called me to well and effective. I can only do a few things really, really well and I've got to know what those things are. And Jesus models for that Uh, uh, models that for us in the way he did minister. So that's the Jesus way. That's part of it. But now, to spend the rest of our time this morning, I want you to go back to chapter 4, and I want to look specifically at, at verses 16 through 19. Again, Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue, verse 16, on the Sabbath day. He stands up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to him. He unrolls the scroll. He finds a place And here's what Jesus begins to share with the people in the synagogue that day. And in these two verses, verses 18 and 19, you have both the means of our ministry, the same means that Jesus had, and the message of his ministry. And it's the same message God has for us today. That's why it's so relatable. That's why it's it's so relevant to us today. Because everything Jesus says about his own life and ministry applies to us today. Let's look at it. First of all, he says in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
It means that the Spirit of God is powerfully and purposefully affecting my life, Jesus says. I, I am primarily doing what I'm doing out of a filling of the Spirit, out of a power that the Spirit of God is giving to me. You see, Jesus is the great example and model for us. Yes, he was 100% God, but when he came and assumed that human body and he lived here on earth, he wanted to show us, here's what it would be like if a human being totally devoted himself to the work of God and did it depending on the Lord. He was doing that not because, as Jesus, he had to, but he was doing it as a great example, in fact, the best example and the best model and pattern that you and I could ever have for our own life and ministry. And Jesus is saying, by quoting the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of God is upon me. And guess what? The same Spirit of God that was upon Jesus in his ministry lives within every true believer of Jesus Christ today. And the same power that was operating and upon Jesus is the same power that is available to us today. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Where was Jesus at spiritually before he went out into the wilderness and was tested by the devil? The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Literally, he, he was thoroughly permeated by the Spirit of God. Second, you'll notice in verse 1, it also says as he returned from the Jordan, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was moved or directed. Same thing is true today. We can be filled with the Spirit. We can be led by the Spirit. Then look at verse 14. Then Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. In the enablement, enabled to accomplish or achieve something, that's how Jesus did it, through the power of the Spirit. Folks, the same thing is true today. We have that same power available to us. And God never asks us to do something for him that he does not empower and equip us for through his spirit. God is simply looking today for those vessels, those who believe in him, to be filled with his spirit. I love that story in the book of Acts where the church began to grow. And you know the story. There were widows that were being neglected. And there was a complaint raised with the leadership of the early church. And they said, well, let's start looking for some people within the church that can, that can oversee this ministry to the widows because it's a legitimate ministry. It's something that needs to happen. But remember, the other leaders said, but we cannot leave what God has called us to to do that. Again, because then we're being thwarted and prevented in our ministry. We need to look for others who are willing to step up. And that's what we're looking for right here at our church right now. We, we have a wonderful ministry, but God wants to expand and increase our ministry. And the only way to do that is to not keep piling the same things on the same people, but to start getting new people to step forward and step up. But in Acts chapter 6, in that story, guess what it says? Who were they looking for? They were looking for people who were full of the Spirit. Full of the, you mean you need to look for a really spiritual person to oversee a ministry to widows? Can't just anybody do that? Well, they could, but you see in the church, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how big the task, whether it's being the pastor of the church or whatever other position there is. Every last person in every last ministry should be Spirit-filled. Otherwise, you start running into problems. 
Because when people aren't being directed and led and empowered by the Spirit, you're going to start having issues, whatever ministry you're talking about. So no matter what it is, the church needs to make sure that people who are filling those positions are full of the Spirit. That's why, can I just say, sidelight here, that's why so many churches today are getting, a, they're getting into dangerous ground by allowing people that aren't even saved to serve Listen, I don't mind unsaved people coming to church. You're welcome to come here at any time. But we start, we start allowing unsaved, non-people who don't even have the Spirit of God, much less can be empowered by the Spirit, to serve in some capacity in the church. Look out. Look out. Or allow anybody at all. Well, you know, I remember even growing up in a little brethren church in, in the, on the East Coast. And I remember like the pastor getting up and just begging, you know, we've, we've got these needs in the church. Whoever wants to do it can do it. And then people started to volunteer to serve because they, they started to feel obligated and it was out of duty and it was, they, they were being put on guilt trips and, and all of this. And so people out of guilt would say, okay, I'll do that since nobody else will do it. They didn't really feel called to it. They certainly weren't empowered to, to do it. And they certainly didn't approach it spirit-filled either. And guess what? Problems start to happen soon after. Because God wants us to serve him just the way Jesus did, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. But notice another means of Jesus' ministry in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Guess what? Every true believer is not only has the Spirit, but every true believer has an anointing from God. First John talks about that. You and I have an anointing of God through the Holy Spirit. What's it mean to be anointed? It means to be authorized and empowered by God continually. That's what it means to be anointed. Think of it as, you know, an anointing is almost like God placing his hands upon someone. That's why throughout my life as a Christian, I, I've heard people, uh, Christians in the context of, of seeing God use somebody, say, God's hand is upon them. What do they mean by that? They mean there's evidence that God is truly with them and authorizing them and empowering them to do what they do. Otherwise, I know that if it was just them, they couldn't be doing what they're doing. They're doing it only because of the anointing of God on their life. And God wants to see every one of his servants living that way. Not just having the Spirit of God upon us, but living that anointing where what we do, we do in the authority and the empowerment of God. Where there's something different about the way we live and how we operate and how we move and how we carry ourselves. And it is very evident to those around us. That was certainly true of Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Let's go back to that instance where they were trying to throw him off the cliff. Notice what happens in verse 30 when this crowd tries to throw Jesus off the cliff. It says, he passed through the crowd and just kept on going. What happened there? I mean, it's a whole crowd of people. It's one person, Jesus, and, and they're all grabbing a hold of him. And get, How did he escape? Because it wasn't his time yet. 
And, and he was living under the authority and empowerment of God. And, and whether it was some kind of miracle or something, they could not grab a hold of Jesus enough and long enough and strong enough to be able to do what they wanted to do, which was kill him at that point. It wasn't his time to die yet, and so nothing was going to happen to him. And can I just say the same thing? When you and I are living under the anointing of God, and God is using us, there is nothing that can happen to us until it's our time to go home to be with Jesus. We are invincible because we live with that anointing. And it was just like the same thing. I think what happened here is the same thing that happened when they went to, and they came to arrest Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. You remember that story? The soldiers, the Roman soldiers come up and say in the garden, we're looking for a guy named Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm him. Jesus did. Jesus wasn't like hiding, like, oh, they're, they're trying to find me. No, Jesus literally went out to meet the soldiers and said, I'm the one you're looking for. And you know what the Bible says after that? Jesus, when he said, I am, they all just sort of blew backwards and fell backwards and retreated, the Bible said. It was like Jesus was reminding this Roman legion of soldiers, you're not taking me. I'm giving myself up. Because you have no authority or power here unless I, as God, give it to you. And I'm not being arrested, and I'm not going to be crucified tomorrow because I don't have the power to save myself. I do. I'm laying down my life as the Lamb of God here. But make no mistake about it. I have the authority and power over you, and if I want to use it, I'll use it. Amen. You see. Notice. Jesus also demonstrated this authority and power whenever again he was stirring up the demonic world. And the Bible says in verse 33, in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. By the way, does that mean that there can be people who are either possessed or who are being oppressed by demonic forces in the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, even since we've moved in here, we've had some dealings with that, you see. Because again, when, when God is using you or using your church or whatever, it stirs up the spiritual world, you see. And so they start saying, verse 34, leave us alone, Jesus of Nazarene. Have you come here to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God, Jesus rebuked them, said silence, said come out of them. And here's what I want you to see in verse 36. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Literally, as we even sang about, he puts the demons in their place. Why? Because he has the authority and power. He has the anointing to be able to do that. And guess what? God gives us that anointing too. That's why the Bible tells us as mere human beings who know the Lord that we can resist the devil. The devil is much more powerful than we are, right? But in the authority and power that Jesus gives us, you and I have the capability of standing up to the devil, which is why in Ephesians 6, Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, put on the armor of God and you can stand in the evil day, you see. Because we don't stand in our own authority and power. We stand in the authority and power that God gives us through that anointing that each of us has. Well, that's not the only thing Jesus put in his place. Verse 38, he was leaving the synagogue. 
They were telling him, listen, Simon's mother-in-law is suffering from a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her. So he stood over her, verse 39, and guess what he did? He commanded or put the fever in its place, and it left immediately. Because there is no physical illness or ailment or anything that has authority and power over Jesus Christ. When Jesus wants something to leave our life or our body or whatever, he has the power immediately to speak the word, and it will be gone. That's the authority and power. So here's the thing. If Jesus doesn't heal, it's not because he cannot do it. It's because he has something even better planned, you see. Something even better planned. Because Jesus always does what he does or doesn't do what he does based what's best for us at that moment, you see. And that's where our faith has to kick in. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Because sometimes the way we look at things or the way things appear, it seems like either Jesus isn't capable of healing or maybe he just doesn't love me enough to heal. No, 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 no. Sometimes it's his love that takes us home. Sometimes it's his love that chooses not to do something because spiritually even, it's for our better place. Think of Paul. Paul had that thorn in his flesh and he went to God and said, God, I want you to take this thorn in the flesh. And he approached God three times and then Paul relayed the message that God said, no, because if I let that in your life, spiritually you're going to be stronger because of that. And my grace that I will give you to deal with that is sufficient for you to live with that thorn for the rest of your life. So I'm choosing not to heal you from that thorn. I'm choosing you to let you live the rest of your life with that because physically, yeah, it might be an annoyance, but spiritually, you're going to be so much better off. And remember, when God makes decisions, the spiritual always trumps the physical, always. Because God understands, like we should understand, that the spiritual and the eternal things way matter more than the physical temporal things. Amen. Authority, power, anointing. And then finally, look back at chapter 4, look at verse 18 as well. Not only is the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, not only has he anointed us, but he has sent us, just as he sent Jesus. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. To be sent by God means to literally go as his personal representative on a specific mission. And we know this is true because later on in the chapter, notice what it says again about Jesus in verse 43. He says to the people who are trying to keep him here, I got to keep going because that's what I was what? Sent to do. Guess what? God wants to send every one of us too as his personal representative on a specific mission. What's the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 5.20? All of us as believers are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Amen. That means God wants to send us out into the world as his personal representative on a specific mission, to have that missional mindset of every day, this is what I'm on planet Earth. This is what God has sent me to do. This is what he's anointed me to do. This is what the Spirit of God is upon me to do. And you have that clarity of this is why I'm here in this season and this is what God wants me to do. And I go with the same means in my life every day that Jesus Christ himself went with. The Spirit of God, the anointing of God, and the sending of God. 
Isn't that what Jesus said to his followers right before he left and ascended back up to heaven? He says, all authority has, is mine. All power is mine. Now, you go in my authority and power and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've told you. And oh, by the way, I'm with you to the very end. The same sending God wants to do in our life. But we've got to be willing to embrace what God has for us. Oh, real quick. I don't want to leave today without looking at this real quick. Look at the message that Jesus has too. Because guess what? It's the same message that he gives us to encourage ourselves and to share with others. It, it really has four components to it. First, he says, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Who's the poor? He's not primarily talking about the physical poor, if you will. He's talking about spiritually impoverished people. That's why in the Beatitudes, it starts out, blessed are the poor in spirit. That those phrase, in spirit, is added. It means those who are aware of their spiritual poverty, those who understand, I got a great need. The need is sin. I got, I got to do something about this sin that separated me between me and God, but I've got nothing to bring. I can't, I can't fix this myself. And Jesus says, Here's the good news. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty we might be made rich. That's the good news. Amen. That those of us who are willing to admit I got nothing to bring in order to somehow merit my salvation or earn my salvation or work my way to heaven, I got nothing, God, to solve this sin problem in my life. But the good news of God that he gives to all of us, not only for ourselves, but to share with others is, here's the good news. You and I don't have to bring anything to the Lord. We can come just as we are and we just fall upon the mercy of God and let God do the rest because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the good news, you see. But then that doesn't end there. That's not the only message. Then he says, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives. To those in spiritual bondage, he says, guess what? And we sang about it today. Jesus Christ has the power to set us free, to release us. And maybe you're here this morning and something's really got a hold of you in your life. And you are in spiritual bondage to something. You have tried to overcome whatever it is in your own power, and your own strength, and you keep failing and hitting that wall and keep falling down over and over again. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ can set you free. And you and I have to believe that he has all authority and power to release us when we are in spiritual bondage to something because Jesus Christ does not want any of his children to be in bondage to anything other than simply being his servant. That's the only thing he wants us to be in bondage to in a sense is being bound to him but not bound by anything else. And you and I have that message, and that message needs to get out into all of our lives and into our churches because we live in a world today that is in bondage to so many things. We live in a world of addiction today to so many things. And people today are trying, and they're trying sometimes really hard, but without the power of God in their life, they will not be able to totally release themselves from what's got a hold of them. Only the power of God can permanently and powerfully release us from what has its claws into us. And we've got to get that word out. 
Next, Jesus says, I've also come to share a message of regaining of sight, verse 18, to the blind, those that are not physically blind as much as spiritually blind. You want more perception and discernment in your life? You want more clarity in your life? You want to be able to see deeper and further and beyond what you can see? Guess what? The good news is we can have perfect spiritual 2020 vision when we walk with God and we serve him. He, he can put a prescription, if you will, of glasses on us that opens up a whole new world for us to see when we walk with the Lord. We, we, can, we can see deeper and further and beyond anything we could ever imagine. And when we look into his word, the spirit of God can just begin to show us things that we never saw before when we're willing to walk and serve the Lord. That's part of that good news. One more part of the message. I've also come to set free those who are oppressed. Who are the oppressed? I love this. Not that I love that we all have went through this in our life, but here's a description of those that are oppressed. The spiritually bruised and broken. And the words set free literally mean to put back into service. So listen to me, my friends. This is so important. If you've walked with the Lord any length of time or served and ministered, whether it's in churches, outside of church, with other Christians, whatever, there maybe have been a time where you were hurt, where you were bruised and, 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 and you were broken by other people in trying to serve the Lord or minister or just to live for him. And you need repair. You need healed. You need mended before you go back into service. Guess what? Jesus can do that. And I, I know from my own personal life that happened because many of you know my story that there was a time in my life where I was about ready to walk away from being a pastor in ministry forever. And God had to do a repair and healing of my heart and put me back into service. And I'm glad he did because I would have never known any of you had he not done that. I would have missed out on such a blessing of being the pastor of the Oasis Church. And guess what? I'm saying that to say to you, you may not be ministering right now because you still need some healing to take place in your life. Well, guess what? Jesus is the one that can do that. He can heal those bruises and that brokenness that you've experienced in your life because he wants to get you back into service. He doesn't want you to be on the shelf or for you to sit on the shelf for the rest of your life. He's got some great stuff for you to be a part of but he's got to do that internal healing first and he's the one that can do it will you allow him to do that today because he doesn't want you to sit on the sidelines for the rest of your life I'll just say this all the king's horses and all the king's men might not have been able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but Jesus could. <laughs> and you may, you may in your life have to need some things put back together again because you're a little broken. Guess what? Jesus is the one to do it. He loves you so much, he understands your brokenness and my brokenness. He understands those bruises more than we could ever imagine but he can set you free from those things so that our life is not defined by what others have done to us at their hands or even what we've done to ourselves at our own hands, but that we can move past that 
and truly live a productive and healthy Christian life. And I love the way Jesus ended when in verse 19 he says, I'm also here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, meaning this is the season where we can access God's favor in our life. And Jesus is saying the same thing today. He's saying, guys, I could come back at any time and things are going to change when I come back. But now I'm giving you time. Now is the day to access the favor of God. Now's the time to draw near to God because he wants to, he's inviting us. But you and I, he, he wants to see that we're willing to take that step towards him because he won't force himself into our life. Even as a Christian, he won't do that. He wants to wait to be invited. And so today, as we end this time right now, I'm just going to ask, would you invite Jesus into your life? I'm not saying as your Savior at this point. If, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, then yes, I want to encourage you to do that. But I'm primarily speaking to Christians, I think, in this auditorium. I'm asking Christians, will you invite Jesus in? Will you let him heal your bruises and brokenness? Will you let him give you sight? Will you let him release you from bondage? Will you let him take you out of that spiritual poverty and show you how rich you can be in Jesus Christ? Will you allow Jesus to do that today? Because Jesus has a ministry for each of us. And Jesus wants us to step up into that ministry in this life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we worship you now, God, with the words of this song, that, God, we wouldn't speak these words or sing these words unless we truly mean them. That, God, more than anything else, we just want you. We want to make our life about you. We want you to be the very center of everything that we do. And that, God, we not only want to embrace your salvation, we want to embrace the service that you have for us here. We want to embrace the part that you have us to play here on this earth while we're here for such a short time. God, would you use these moments where we can just do business with you and you can do business with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.